Well, shout out to my boy, Tim LaRue. We got him in the building. Cam Eakin Show, episode number 14. We've been doing it for a little bit now, feeling good. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, so do you think that the live show dynamic is going to stay with this whole outdoor drive-in thing? You said you were at a comedy show and it was outside. Mm-hmm. Like, When do you think we're actually going to get back into venues? I mean, from talking to a few different agents, it feels like venues are planning on this fall it being you know like 25 percent capacity in some spaces i think it seems all very up in the air and everyone's hoping for the best and and planning preemptively for the best but you know no one really knows but i I, you know i think that's what the industry is kind of planning around is fall there's there's i mean there's already tours going on sale in the fall you know but there was also you know tours going on sale last summer so right who really knows but the industry is definitely planning for the fall but i think in my opinion, I feel like next next spring summer is gonna look probably pretty normal. But I don't I don't think before then and like I'm not I'm not I'm not like aggressive on the you know, on the business side or on the fan side. Any involvement I have, I'm not I don't think I'm gonna be going to or, or running shows in the fall. Like I'm not I don't know. I, I'm I'd rather get out of that like lab rat stage of it, you know, and and do real proper shows at some point. Yeah, so you're not worried about having any of your artists you're working with just get right out right away in this weird interim time where they're trying to do like 25%. I don't understand how anybody really makes money at 25%. The artists, the, the, the venue. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. You know, I, that's why I think it's going to take a long time to get ironed out and it's not being stagnant, but it's like, even just how everyone I work with kind of, you know, is lined up right now. Like it's a lot of just working on music and you know, it's not like, it's not, you know, anybody just released a big album and, and are trying to get on the road as soon as possible. It was kind of conveniently like just a lot of, downtime a lot of kind of replanning working on music and you know i I think by the time next spring rolls around i think uh yeah i feel like by that time shows are gonna are gonna look close to normal if not normal but i don't think it's gonna be like you know the 10 15 you know capacity all spaced out like i i don't know i'm optimistic at least but by this time next year things will look a lot better yeah i think that we're doing pretty good because you got some percentage of people who have a natural immunity right now Mm -hmm. and now we've got maybe 20 percent of the population that's starting to get vaccinated Mm -hmm. i think for a little bit we were worried that the different strains were really gonna play a big part into it but i think that we're seeing that we're keeping up our pace with the vaccines yeah and so hopefully we can minimize the effect of the new strains Mm -hmm. and get to a point where we can bring this down to a significant enough level in the summer i feel like we're gonna at least have a really good period between May and August where things are really of this year. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost like it could be like an eye of the storm Yeah, where logic cases are super low Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are vaccinated. And so you can start to kind of hang out with people. Oh, you've been vaccinated. I have to come over do this. And we might have a summer like that. And it depends what happens in the fall. Yeah. If the, if the new strains start to catch hold, and you know we start to see cases go up again have like a third or fourth i don't even know what fourth wave at this point mm. it could happen but i think in the short term we're, we're looking good right now on this race against the new the new strains and oh, people getting vaccinated i was reading a little bit last night just you know some of the european countries germany i think italy was grouped in there that you know they basically haven't been able to distribute the vaccine fast enough and the and the race like you said like the the new strains is outpacing 
the vaccine distribution right now. But even though the odds looked like they were really against us two months ago, you know, whatever, I don't know who's responsible, the administration or, you know, the health health officials, whatever our system is, it feels like we we pulled ahead a little bit and, and I'm with you. That's what it just feels like. The energy in general, I know energy is a weird thing to bring up when talking about a pandemic, but like the energy beyond the science, the energy just feels a little bit better. And I've been pleasantly surprised just with how many people our age are, are you know, proudly sharing that they got the vaccine. I felt like four or five months ago, people were a lot more apprehensive and for good reason. You know, I, I think it's, it's scary, you know, um, especially with all the messaging we kind of had last year. I, you know, I was telling someone this the other day, but, you know, I remember, I mean, we all went through it, but, you know, I think when, when we first started hearing people talk about vaccines in the media, you know, the, the stats were like, never has there been a vaccine, you know, uh, whatever, um, developed in under yeah, a year yeah. yeah but but not not even under a year it was like like five or six years it was like several right. years to prove that it was safe and efficient and what we needed you know so i think that got stuck in a lot of people's heads you know but then you do a little more more research and you're like all right well this you know type of vaccine was already sort of in development you know and you you know you combine that with the fact that you know all of the data we're looking at from the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it was never this big in this series of a global threat. So you have everyone globally working together on this, you know, but uh, yeah, it, you know, it just feels like <clears throat> there's, there's, of course, there, there's going to be the anti-vaxxers and there's going to be people that, you know, for whatever reason, and, and I'm not, look, I'm, I'm still not on the fence, but I'm still like, I'm playing it cautiously. I have a bunch of food. Allergies. Well, but you've got different considerations. Yeah, very, very different considerations. I have a bunch of <clears throat> kind of underlying health issues and food allergies, and I can't take the flu shot for that reason. There's egg in it. Um, right. But I guess I'm just saying I've been pleasantly surprised just seeing, you know, people go through the process and be eager to to help, you know, and to do something that they might not be 100% sure about it, but for the greater good, they're doing it. Which Well, it's, it's funny because in, in Italy and France and all these places, they do seem to have more of a hesitancy against the vaccine because I don't know if their vibe is just more natural. There's been a lot of reports coming out of Europe of people being more and more hesitant. And you'd think that like in America, we're super hesitant, whatever. But if you look at the, you look at the numbers, we're actually, you know, really outpacing where we thought we were going to be it's really interesting. doing a million doses a day. We're doing two and a half million to three million to maybe four on a bet on a good day. Yeah per day yeah it really so yeah it's it's you're right i think young people being vocal about it is a big thing i think all of us just discussing the science a little bit more mm -hmm. because you're right we've never made a vaccine in a year and got it out yeah. but that's the point of this new technology for the vaccine is, is that it can be developed super quickly because it's really just like yeah. a mathematical thing once you understand the genetic makeup of of the vaccine, then you're good. Yeah. What'd you say? It's my fault. I'm just plugging this fucking charger. No, you're good. You're good. I'll keep talking on my soapbox while you <laughs> while you do your thing. Uh, well, um, there you go. I, I I saw what the problem was. Um. Yeah, man. That's that's exactly what it is. So, I don't know. It feels encouraging, and it just feels like, like you said, the combination of those few factors, like you know, people actually taking the vaccine, the distribution going really well you know, that sort of zone. I mean, we saw the, the numbers dipped last year when, you know, there was there was no vaccine being distributed. So that's what's going to happen, you know, and I think that's why <clears throat> people are actually optimistic about there being some type of shows in the fall. Um, 
you know, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I told you I was reading that book that goes through the history of all these different epidemics and pandemics, and they all follow the same pattern. They have the first wave, then things get better. Then people say, I don't want to wear masks, and they get in fights, and all these social disruptions happen, and protests happen, and all these things that we saw happen during our last two years. It's not a coincidence that we're in the middle of a pandemic and all this change is happening too. And there's a great change and great things going on from a social justice standpoint. But a lot of it can be rooted back in the fact that we're in this incredibly difficult time where all of us are on edge and trying to figure out what's going on. And that leads to progression and change and all this stuff. And that's happened time and time again with other pandemics and epidemics. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much every pandemic has had three to four waves and it's usually about two years. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at where we're at right now, we've gotten the vaccine so quickly mm -hmm. But even without the vaccine, we're, we're on pace to kind of be in this last stage of the pandemic. Yeah. And so think about that. And then on top of that, the fact that maybe 50% of us will be vaccinated or have natural immunity in the next two to three months, right. that's really good. Because if you have a room of 100 people and 50 of them can't get the virus, yeah. it is so hard to spread that virus in that room. Yeah. You know? So we're getting there. I, I feel really confident because just naturally we're going in the direction that every pandemic has gone in. And then on top of that, we have this extra defense of the vaccine. And so we're going to be in a really good position, hopefully come this summer. Mm -hmm. The new strains might affect that a little bit, but I think that we're going to find out that these vaccines have a pretty good amount of protection against the new strains mm -hmm. still. And so at the very least, we'll see a lot less hospitalizations things yeah. like that i'm curious i was reading something yesterday uh saw someone post just kind of discussing the idea of of continued mask wearing i'm curious what do you think like you know do you think in one two three years let's say three years down the line when this is in the rear view whatever that means do you feel like we're going to see far more people wearing masks on airplanes for example like is that going to be more normalized or do you think it's, it's gradually going to fade yeah well i think if you look at Hong Kong yeah. and Asia after the 2003 mm -hmm. SARS, it's culturally totally normal to wear a mask when you're sick there way before Corona and wear a mask when you're traveling. And if you're a high risk person, wear, wear a mask on public transit or whatever it might be. So I do think that we're going to see some percentage of people being a lot more mindful. I'll probably wear a mask while I'm on an airplane for the next couple years yeah, um i'll definitely wear a mask for the next year going inside any store or doing anything Absolutely. like that so yeah i think that we're collectively going to be a lot more aware of how things spread because yeah. we all got this crash course on the science of virology mm -hmm. in the last two years and so I don't see that as a bad thing. I think that, you know, that's going to make positive changes in our day-to-day -day life for the next few years. But I also contrast that with, again, what I'm reading in this book, there's always this big push on the other side of the pandemic when the pandemic's over, mm -hmm. where everybody has de-risked themselves for so mm -hmm. long because they're 
in this pandemic. So they're not taking financial risks. They're loading up on supplies. They're staying at home. They're not doing anything socially. And then when that's over and they feel like, okay, I can finally start to get back to normal. They don't just go back to a normal routine. They actually take even more risk to make up for the lost time psychologically. So I do think we're going to see a lot of risk taking in the form of social risk taking Mm -hmm. and partying and people going out and restaurants and spending. I think it's going to be like another roaring twenties in a lot of ways. It feels like good art shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's a fun time to be in the business that you and I are in and particularly you working with so many different creatives and artists and things Mm -hmm. like that. I think we're coming up on like a real golden era of time, creativity, nightlife, art, entertainment, all that well, stuff. I, I just feel like generally like consumers and creators alike are going to be more intentional with their time. I know we've had this conversation before and I felt it in my own life. And I feel like a lot of the conversations I've had with friends and, you know, artists, producers, any type of creatives, you know, it, it's been a lot of that. It's been like, you know, if this, <clears throat> if this wasn't a reflection period for you, then then what then what would be you know what would make you reset and think well what am i doing why am i doing it who am i doing it for and that's from the creator right. standpoint but i think from the from the consumer standpoint uh standpoint sorry fan point you know pun um it's gonna be the the, the, the <laughs> consumer standpoint it's going to be the same thing it's going to be all right well there's an absolute boom of shows and festivals and live experience you know experiential type things i can't that's too much for me to spend. I can't afford it all. So which things, you know, am I, am I really moved by, you know, which things do I really have a connection with, you know, um, anytime there's a boom like that, the, the, you know, the, the experiences or the shows or the artists or whatever with, you know, a real tie and not anything passive. I think like pre this people were, you know, a little bit more predisposed to, you know, uh, doing things passively and yeah, sure. I'll go do this. Sure. I'll go drive an hour and, you know, go meet up with somebody that I might not really want to in downtown Los Angeles, you know, but maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I feel like what I'm gathering from others too is, you know, when the world does, and it is gradually, gradually, but when it does like really kind of open back up, why, why am I wasting my time or why am I spending my money on something that doesn't bring me real value that doesn't add to my life? And, and, you know, this was a gut check. A lot of people lost people this year. A lot of people, watched people just struggle so mightily, you know, and I just feel like the other side of this, it's absolutely going to be a, you know, I think a roaring twenties kind of reincarnation type feeling, but you know, it's going to be like, what, what brings us like real joy and real happiness and real experience and excitement, you know? And I think along with that, I think on the creator side, like if, if creators haven't been thinking about that and how to like really deeply engage with fans and create things that are, that are, uh, you know, real moments, you know, and stand out from the crowd, then I don't think those type of people are going to have a ton of success on the other side of this. I think they're going to get lost in the storm. Really well said. I feel like we are seeing that on a micro level when you just, because I think you and I have talked a lot about how there's been a change in social media over the last couple of years because there's so Mm -hmm. much content out there. And so to cut through, you have to really tell a story in a way like, one, from the algorithm standpoint, you're just at bay to whatever the algorithm is doing. But two, yeah. with people that follow you, there's just so much stuff to consume that people are only going to consume stuff if it 
captivates them to a level. And when you pull that out on a macro level with creative stuff after the pandemic, I think that's so true. There's going to be a lot of competition in a sense. And so to cut through, you have to be super intentional and from a creative, from a business standpoint, there's a lot of lessons and ideas there, but even just as a human, you know, that stuff is so relevant. And I think that's the silver lining. And I lost somebody, you know, I lost my dad during this whole time and he didn't die of COVID, but you know, it was kind of, maybe he wouldn't have passed when he did, you know, if, if circumstances were different. And so for me, I think learning those lessons is a huge silver lining of this whole entire situation. Understanding that life is not guaranteed and even life as we know it is not guaranteed. If you look at what we were doing in January of 2019, you know, we didn't expect what was going to happen over the next year, but we've, we've adapted like crazy. And it's really a testament to human nature, how much we've accepted this crazy change and we haven't reacted so horribly to it. And I think it's easy when it's day by day, things get crazier and crazier and you, you, it's like, it's like when you're, uh, working out and gaining weight you don't see it because you're looking at yourself in the mirror every day so those small changes every single day you don't notice it but if someone hasn't seen you in three months they say wow dude you you put on a lot of muscle you know and that's kind of the whole thing that happened with the pandemic is we've just been kind of getting screwed over every single day with worse and worse news and things that are happening in our lives and we've kind of built up this um just numbness to it yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then when you kind of, you know, gradually introduce or reintroduce social activity, whatever that means for you, you know, and again, I could just be speaking for myself, but like, you know, you and I golfed two weeks ago. Right. And that, and that was the first time, and you know, me, like I've, I've been on the, for, for my own personal reasons, the very, very, very cautious side of things. I haven't stepped out. I haven't gone to any type of events. I don't go to the grocery store. I order my groceries, you know, I walk in the neighborhood, I shoot hoops, you know, but aside from that, I don't, you know, I I haven't really seen anybody. I saw my girlfriend who I live with and my parents, you know, when I went back East family, my grandparents, whatever for the last year. So I played golf with you. And then a few days later, I went and saw my homie AJ. um, And we just like stood outside and, you know, I, I gave him a gift for his birthday and, and we just stood there and talked for like 40 minutes. And, you know, those two little experiences, just made me really happy, you know? And I'm like, that's some stuff I might've taken for granted, always enjoyed, you know, little things like that. But, you know, yeah, I can I can go see AJ, we can go link up, whatever, get a drink somewhere, see each other at an event, whatever. You and I will see each other, you know, four times a week, whatever, it's no big deal. You know, but it kind of, again, reintroducing certain things and I'll gradually get to a point, you know, hopefully by later this year where, you know, where I'm, where I'm linking up with the people that matter to me more frequently, but, you know, I just appreciate that time. And I, and I look at it as like, why would I give someone that doesn't really matter that much to me 40 minutes or four hours of my like in-person time? I could be back here building and growing myself and having conversations over the phone or FaceTime or whatever, or, you know, fill in the blanks. But, uh, you know, and, and that's gonna apply to when events are, are available, you know, and bars are open or whatever you know, yeah, I love social activity just as much as the next guy. I miss, you know, going to a good party. I miss going to a good event. Like I'm not, you know, a hermit, but at the same time, 
you know, I definitely realized like how valuable my time is and, and how healthy space is for me. Um, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna cherish like the, whether it's the family time or the real friend time. And, you know, that like thin layer, it was already thin of like that middle ground of like people I don't really care about, but I'll make time for them. I think that's gone forever for me. Yeah. Well, we understand the value of time way more, right? And how much we were doing that didn't equate to anything important in our life. Yeah. I, I, I found that months into the pandemic and I felt like it just made me want to focus on things that I could control in my little ecosystem here because I was similar, not really going out very much and being super careful and, you know, not really going to the store and anything like that. And so I got on this just path of just trying to just figure out how I could get some sense of control back into my yeah. life with that downtime. And so, you know, it was a weird path over this last year. And now being at a point where cases are really low and going and golfing with you or doing something like that, that's still safe, but it's something yeah. that's a little bit of a social interaction. You're right. It, it is so much more appreciated than before. And on the other side of that, the stuff that you don't get a lot of value out of with people that you aren't really close with or that you're just doing something to do it because you feel like you owe this person something or whatever, you realize how much you're just not in the business of doing that, you know? Yeah. So let's take a step back because I really want, I wanted to ask you kind of, and I think, I think a lot of the listeners would like to know what kind of motivated you to get into artist management and, and working in the music business and doing all this, uh, creative work, whatever it is I do. Um, yeah, man. I, I mean, I think the, the, the sort of common thread that connects everything I've ever done. And, and honestly, I can confidently say anything I ever will do is my passion for storytelling and for stories. Um, you know, I mean, like the the super brief history, because I talk about it probably too much already, but the super brief history is, you know, I was always a writer. That was, I think, my one real tangible skill. I, you know, I fucked around with, you know, making like little commercials and short films off like the, the handheld Sony video camera when I was younger. And, you know, I, I always just absolutely loved reading, loved films. You know, I... I was, I was fairly social growing up, I would say mostly through sports. Like that was my, that was my friend group was sports. You know, I, I wasn't, you know, back in high school, I wasn't partying. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going out. My social group was the guys I played ball with and the people I had over my house to play, you know, backyard baseball or whatever. Um, you know, and then in my downtime, I would do a ton of reading, a ton of watching films, writing. I loved creative writing. That was always my favorite kind of sub subject in school you know was like in the english classes like the creative writing aspect of it and poetry and started writing for a sports newspaper that my basketball coach in town had just started up when i was like tail end of high school then in college i went to bu and immediately got into the sports journalism the sports radio world at bu and and to this day like probably the best thing i ever did with my life because it opened up this this whole new world for me i immersed myself in you know, these kind of intersecting passions. All right, here's these guys that love sports, guys and girls. And, you know, here's these guys and girls that love storytelling and love radio and love media. And for a time, I think that's what I thought I was going to do for a living. I didn't really have it figured out, but I just figured, you know what, there's a, 
there's a future in this for me. It's something, you know, not only does it excite me, but it's something I can, you know, my parents and my grandparents, my uncles and aunts are excited about. And that's, you know, when you're young, you know, I, I was never somebody that got a lot of pressure from my parents to be or do a certain thing, but it definitely felt exciting and validating to go home after my freshman, you know, year in college and, and they following what I was doing, you know, and everybody, the whole family was excited. Like that was something that they knew and it was really tangible. And, you know, my whole, my whole family, you know, all, all the way up to my grandparents, it's, it's all sports. Um, you know, so that was that. And, and even doing that though, you know, like I loved, it, it wasn't just like the game recaps that I loved. I loved the idea of understanding where a player came from and how they put, you know, all these different skills together and how they overcame adversity to get to where they're at. And, you know, how is this kid from the Bronx, you know, succeeding at BU and, and what is not only, you know, what is he like on the court, but, but, you know, what's he about, you know, um, I'm thinking of like the kid, John Holland, who was like, you know, the best player at BU at the time and, you know, whatever. So that was like my sort of journey. And I was always just, you know, writing on the side, took screenwriting classes in college, really enjoyed that. And then uh, my sophomore year, end of my sophomore year, I decided to start a, a blog which was focusing on sports and sneakers and, and music, hip hop, really, um, which was, you know, kind of my main three interests. I was working at a sneaker store in Boston and, you know, the, the short version of the next chapter of the story is within six months, you know, I, I started just writing about music exclusively on the site. I already had the sports thing going on, sports radio, working with the basketball team. At that point, I was calling games on the radio, traveling around, you know, doing that, which was a lot of fun. And the music stuff I fell in love with because, I basically realized Boston didn't have a lot of platforms. They had hardly any, you know, there, there were a lot of artists, producers, young creatives that were really frustrated with a lack of an ecosystem, a lack of an industry support, whatever. I just kept getting the same spiel from every conversation I had, you know, and I looked at it as like, look, you know, I love the sports stuff and I'll continue doing that. But this blog is an opportunity. It's, it's a launching pad for different types of creatives. And I had like that little bit of foresight where I'm like, I have the radio show, you know, that's a cool platform at, at, at school. I have this incredible network of videographers and editors and colorists and, you know, DPs, these different creators within kind of the film space, you know, and then I have the blog itself, the, the URL that I can just post a song on. So, you know, if I, and I, and I also like, I really enjoyed going to shows. A lot of times I'd go alone. I'd bring my little flip cam. I'd get a bunch of content. You know, I would say like, I was the, you know, I was in one of those very early, groups of like content creators before content creators was a thing, you know, that that's a, that's a whole career now, but back in like 2011, that's what I was doing. I was just, you know, doing what I knew how to do from the sports world. And I would just go to these events, go to these shows, whatever, and just gather content. And no one in Boston, no one was, was gathering content for artists. And I gathered content and I created content. And even if it was just you know, a premiere of a song, that's still content. That's content that didn't exist. You know, and what I realized beyond, you know, it wasn't about, it was never truly, like I, it was never about, you know, the views on my site. I, to this day, I never made a dollar off the blog. It wasn't, that, it wasn't even in my mind. It was just so, so much fun. And, you know, I, I'm privileged that my parents were paying for me to, you know, go to school up there and to live there. So I wasn't thinking money ever. I was just thinking, you know, I love writing and, and now I love, you know, giving people an opportunity that they didn't have before this, you know, and, uh, and I basically fell, fell out of love with the sports journalism, because I realized with the music stuff, I can actually like reach the root of it, I can, I can, you know, the, with or without me, 
<clears throat> these basketball players are going to succeed or they're going to fall short of the NBA or whatever. They're, mm. They don't need, they don't need a writer. They just don't. They, and there's, there's a million guys that can take my place, but the, the intersection of all these different things happening in Boston, I was, I was the right guy for that role at that time where, you know, I had this platform and I had these, you know, these different branches of me at, at BU and in the city, you know, and I was like, shit, you know, I can actually make an impact. You know, how did that actually, how did that actually go down leaving sports journalism and going full speed into the music stuff? Did you go and talk to the people you were working with on the sports journalism side and say, I'm out? No, it wasn't. It was funny. I was just, I was telling Jazz this, my girlfriend the other night, um, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny because, you know, I was a, I was a really good student, you know, not my brother and sister were like valedictorian of their classes, salutatorian. Right. And I was, I was a good student, but they were, they were great students. Um, you know, but I always got good grades, A's and B's. I think I got like one, one C plus in my life, basically up until my senior year of college you know, and started the blog my junior year of college. And that year it picked up, I would say by spring semester. So I had a year and a half left at that point. And by spring semester, I was going everywhere in the city. Like, you know, there was a, a new artist in town. I was hitting up their management, trying to get an interview. There was a show, I'm there. There's a pop-up shop, I'm there. You know, there's a new artist in Boston that, you know, wants me to come through and do an interview with them, I'm there. So I started at that point kind of deprioritizing everything that wasn't around the blog or creating content for this music kind of space so it wasn't this like hard shift from the sports stuff i was still calling games on the radio i was still traveling and i i deprioritized classes the most it was like it, it was like blog stuff and then you know the basketball stuff um the reporting and then and then classes so i mean i became like <laughs> i went off the deep end as far as like being a student like i you know, I think I had like a three, four GPA. And by the time I graduated, it was like a two, six. And I failed three classes the last couple of semesters. Like, you know, I remember specifically you and I, like, you know. Like it brought the whole average down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like terribly, you know, like I basically for a while did not think I was going to graduate, which is funny. Just, you know, you, you, you bust your ass for like, you know, whatever it is, like 15 years of schooling. And, and you're like, and beyond that, I was a pretty straight edge kid too. Like, and I, like I said, I didn't drink in high school. I never smoked. You know, I, I was, I stayed out of trouble. I, you know, I'd fuck around in school and stuff, but I stayed out of trouble. Um, you know, and then that like end of junior, early senior year, I started to just have more fun in general and just started to go out more. And I think I found like a real community that I just really enjoyed being around. And, you know, the, the basketball stuff, like the, the basketball reporting stuff, you know, I remember specifically like beginning of my senior year and, and it was sort of a whirlwind, like you and I, at that point, had started working together and and you had a show in New York City and it was the first show that like me and Goodwin and, and our whole sort of crew we all went down with you to New York and it was so much fun I, you know to this day it was that was almost nine years ago eight and a half years ago and yeah. I, rem I remember like every minute of that trip I just you know shout out to Webster Hall yeah it, it was a you know I can picture the flyer that Ian made like you know it was a it was a great weekend and a great memory and i regret none of this at, at all none of this uh anything i did in that era but you know i remember just like we left to go to your show it was like a friday and you know it was like maybe october or something so it was pretty early in the semester maybe even late september and i had already skipped this one and i believe it was a screenwriting class which i really enjoyed screenwriting but i i had already skipped it two or three times and then uh, en route to your show i skipped it again 
this is ringing a bell. Yeah. And then the professor emailed me and he was like, you know, I gave you a couple chances. Now I'm forcing you to drop this class. Like I'm failing you and you don't show up to this class again. And, you know, kind of split down the middle. I was like half, I don't give a fuck because I'm doing shit that I really enjoy. And then half like really embarrassed because I'm like, this isn't me, you know, like I'm not the guy that like skips classes all the time. I'm not the guy that like, you know, gets, gets, gets booted from a class or fails, but you know, I was just having a so much fun and B so much faith in like the things I was doing that I was just like, man, whatever, you know, whatever. And then the, the kind of second part to that was, you know, um, <laughs> like the first game of the season, I'm still a little embarrassed by this one, but the first game of the season, uh, that BU had. And I was like, at that point, I did two full scenes of color and I was going to be the main play-by-play guy. You know, I, I preferred color commentary more than play-by-play anyway, but. Oh, I can't imagine doing play-by-play. Play-by-play is not that fun just because you're, you're, you're literally describing what's happening. And yeah, you can add some personality in, but color, man, like I'm, I'm, my memory is crazy. So I'm like, you know, color is where you chime in with kind of stats, you chime in with mm. observations about the game, how, the, you know, what's referencing other, referencing other stuff. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I think I really shined in that and I really enjoyed it. You know, whatever that's, that's a, you know, I, I still envision a, you know, a past that could have turned, you know, whatever I could have, I could have done that for a career for sure. You know, but uh, yeah. Um, fucking yeah. So the first game of the season, right. You know, we're, I mean, you remember the, the, the dojo days, you know, the, our, our homie that had the spot in the South end and we used yeah, to just talk to him today. Yeah. Shouts out. We just got to, um, you know, we, we, we all would party there. We all would go. I mean, we were working too. It wasn't all, you know, fun and games. It was, it was a lot of, you know, it was really good collaborative energy. It was a lot of the people, Stiz, Michael Christmas, OG, you, me, you know, replay all these guys, we were all there, you know, three, four, five nights a week. Um, you know, and, uh, I just want to paint the picture real quick of the dojo because it's this, it was this creative space. It was basically our homie's apartment, but it was like a basement apartment. And everybody from that time period, from me, Stiz, Christmas, OG, Tim, you know, Jeff Replay, Nick Gray, all these guys that were up and coming artists in the Boston area, all of us would hang out in this space, make music there, party there, hang out, just be creative. It really was an open creative space for you know a year in boston where a lot of us made a ton of music and built relationships and lived our life in this way that almost like felt like it could have been a tv show so that just paints the picture of this creative environment we had in 2013 in boston or 12 whenever it was and and it was grungy as hell and it's something that like if I walked into now, you know, I just turned 30 years old. If I walked into now, it would, yeah. it would be like that, you know, whatever that little meme is where, where, or I guess like the Simpsons meme where he walks in and then takes his hat off, hangs on the hat rack and then turns around and walks out. Cause just, yeah. Know, like I'm not, that's what I would do now. But back then, man, like that shit was, it was like, it, I don't know if like Bohemian thinking about like that era of like writers and artists, you know, in New York city, like back in like the seventies, like, I don't know if that's the right, the right term, but that's what it felt. It just felt like, there was this real palpable energy and people were just in there. Like, I mean, you know, thick smoke in the air, you know, ton of tapestries, like really low to the ground furniture, you know, Russian forties, but it was, it was a very inspiring era because it was a lot of us that were all like between 18 and 21 years old. Um, and, And I would say that everyone that was like kind of a, a core part of what was going on there was, was working on something 
bigger than themselves and working on something that was outside of like the conventional, you know, uh, go to school and get a job type. Everyone was entrepreneurial or creative in a sense, you know, and, and, and you know, like anything in life, there was a point where it, it got out of control and I removed myself from that situation because of that. But for a time, it was really special and it was a lot of fun. I have a lot of great memories from there. But one of my, and I think the Boston Globe wrote about it too. Yeah, we did. We did an interview there. Um, you know, but one of my like, you know, the, you know, the 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 shameful I guess memory from that was my the first game of the season. So I'm about to be the you know the play by play guy. But you know, I just painted the picture. I was checked out. I was checked out of everything that wasn't part of this music journey and part of this music business journey and part of this fun. You know, I don't even want to say business because I wasn't. You know, I guess we were starting to make a little bit of money, but it was fun. Um, but, you know, I needed that. Everybody needs a balance. Like, you need to fill the pie chart. You know, I've realized that, like, everybody needs to fill that at some point. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy at some point if you don't have your fun, if you don't have your, you know, your your entrepreneurial kind of stuff, if you don't have your creative outlets, if you don't, you know, all these things, friendship, family, all, all that. Um, you know, but I think it was, a like, Saturday, 12 p.m. tip-off for our first game of the season. It was a home game, a Gannis Arena. It was a big deal. And we're in the dojo Friday night and I wake up in the dojo at 12:30 PM tip off was at 12, you know, and it would have been like a <laughs> 25, 30 minute cab, you know, in my phone, it was just like the whole staff blowing me up. Like where are, you know, I can't imagine the other side of that. I'm the, I'm the play by play commentator for the basketball team, their first opening home game of the season. And I just didn't show like, that's nuts. Looking back. It's nuts. And I'm that's pretty crazy. I'm really guilty and embarrassed and all that at the time to the point where I, where I basically just hit them. And I was like, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to come. I'm just not going to do this season. I just felt really bad. And I was just like, that's such a bad kind of first step for that season that I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do it. And, and I'm just, so that was the turning point. That was, that was the turning point for sure. Where I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm too deep in this, <laughs> too deep in this game now, too, too deep in the turn back. And, and, you know, I, uh, it's funny, man. I mean, you know, that's how life is. You make these decisions and, and you live with them and, you know, you can envision like what life would have been if I didn't oversleep that day, but I don't, I don't regret anything, but it's just funny. Cause, cause I think, you know, a few different decisions in my life could have, could have gone so differently and literally every single memory, you know, doesn't exist as life. You know, we don't need, we don't need to, to explain that, but uh, it, you know, but it, it was funny. So yeah, that was, that was kind of how it happened was I just, I was just passionate, man. And I found a community, you know, and, and I, while I really enjoyed and to this day, like those WTV radio guys, like those are still some of my closest friends, you know, Lee Finer and, you know, Tyler Murray, Sopan Deb, who's, you know, a, a published author now writes for the New York times, you know, all these guys, it was such an amazing crew, um, you know, but the, the, the music community, it just felt like, man, we have an opportunity to, do something that like hasn't been done before. And we're not just filling a role. We're like creating something for ourselves. And I just got kind of sucked up by that energy and did my best to, to build something from that energy. It's so important not to be down on yourself when something like that happens, because we're all human beings and we're trying to juggle a lot of different things. And when you're in the middle of a transition, you're trying to figure out what you're doing, which is kind of this time period in your life. You were trying to juggle two things at once and at a certain point it reached a point where it was like it doesn't make sense to do that and the way that it you know came to a boiling point was in this kind of 
funny story of waking up at 1230 and missing the game. But when you look back at it, it's just something that, that had to happen for the progression you were going in. And I think you're the type of person who probably understands that. And so you, you were able to justify it at the time and still, you know, understand that, okay, maybe, you know, I'm a little embarrassed about that or whatever, but I understand the bigger picture here that, you know, we're, it's, it's all good. And I think that's a really important lesson yeah. from this story is it's like, don't be too hard on yourself. If something like that happens, just, just, you know, get up and move forward. You know what I'm saying? And what, what you did, you know, just hit them up, you know, I'm not doing this season yeah. and keep going. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you know, and and, it, and and part of it sucked, you know, and, and like I said, there's, you know, there, there had been times, I, you know, I don't think regret was ever, ever a word, but there was definitely times where I was like, damn, I was, because I was really having a blast doing that stuff, you know, but like you said, it's like, you just, you can't do it all in life. You got to pick and choose where you put your energy. And, you know, I, I just couldn't deny at that time that, you know, there was, again, it was like something bigger than me. And I was just like, well, this seems like something I could kind of turn back to at any time and this energy that I'm feeling over here it, it, it feels like that can come and go um and it felt like a real opportunity to you know to just to to try to to, to create something from that you know and the point I was going to make was like I think the the lesson from that really is like you know for anyone younger it's like you can't you can't just fuck around forever you know and and there was an element of fucking around. There was an element of having a lot of fun in that time period, but never did I feel like I wasn't building towards something. And even at that point in time that like, damn, I missed this game that, that, you know, I'm, I'm the play-by-play commentator. What am I doing? I missed the game. I would have, you know, I, the only reason I would have regretted that, the only way I would have regretted that is if I had turned back to, to nothing, you know, if I had turned back and it was exclusively fun, but that was almost, motivation at that time where I was like, okay, if I'm going to turn away from this, I better make something of this other thing because I'm give, I'm giving up one opportunity and there's nothing wrong with choosing another opportunity, to, even if it's the road less traveled, whatever, but don't fumble that, you know, like really make something with that. And, and, and that was part of my, I think, decision-making when it came time for me to like remove myself from that environment, when I felt like it was getting too fun and not productive enough, you know, and I basically took with me the people that really wanted to 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 work you know and and i think the timing of it i was about to graduate some of the people in there were a bit younger but i just felt the pressure of like well you know i i did three years of calling basketball games i did three years of building a resume for a job in sports journalism if i'm chopping that off that's fine i i believe at any age you should be able to you know confidently shift career paths completely life is really short we got one fucking life you know if you're doing something you're not happy with change it like change it and i know it's easier said than done but you know build it at least be building it on the side so it was what i was doing granted i didn't have the pressure of making money you know very different scenario but i was building something and then i said all right i'm cutting this off i know i'm not gonna be able to get a job i have no resume in this music space right now but i'm gonna go all in on it all in and and that meant for me dropping the sports reporting stuff almost failing school you know dropping a bunch of classes but i and you saw it firsthand, I really busted my ass during that time period to to make something of this like blog hub thing. Yeah, I've always felt like when we're making these choices, any choice is really two choices. 
you go this one direction and you follow this path of something that you really wanted to try like I want to do music and so I'm going to try and devote all my time to figuring out how to make a living doing music or you choose I wanted to do this but I'm not going to do it because I want to you know have a more stable life and I've been in college and so I want to just get a job and go this direction and I've always looked at it particularly after I went through the whole thing with the accident that I had when I was 15 kind of changed my whole life perspective. I've always looked at it as there's so many choices, but only some of the choices are ones that you really feel inside and know that like, if you didn't at least give that thing a try and, and play it all the way out until the end, then you would have some regret, you know? And I've always tried to, make my decisions my important ones in that way because there's always two options i'm always trying to go with the option that allows me to not have any regret even if it goes wrong and even if you pull the plug on it at some point you know you still feel like i played this all the way out until the end and i feel okay now taking a step back and pivoting into something Mm -hmm. else And I've found that really helpful for my own, just, you know, the way that I look at my life and how it's gone in the last, you know, 10, 12 years as an adult trying to maneuver through this life. And you don't always make the right choices, but if you just try and do a simple stress test of like, do I really want to try this thing? And is this something that's really important to me? And if I don't do this, am I going to feel a type of way Mm. about that? You know, and if that answer is, yeah, I would feel a type of way if I didn't at least try this, I'm always trying to tell myself, just go try it, you know, and it's, you know, it's not a perfect system. There's, there's choices that you have to make in life and there are circumstances that change, but yeah, isn't it funny that just random choices that we make can have the biggest outcome in your whole entire life? And that randomness to me is almost like beautiful and it makes me able to accept things yeah. more. Well, cause, cause you know, it, it conditions you to have the belief that if that can happen, it can happen again. So if there's a time where you're, you know, if there right. was a time where you were feeling stuck and then something kind of random or serendipitous happens and leads you to this new sort of breakthrough in life, then that can happen 10, 15 unlimited amount more times. So like there's some, there's some, you know, I, I've always had faith in that. I've always had faith in like, you know, well, if I would have done this differently, but okay, now I'm in this, I'm gonna make the best of this, but like, pay attention, like pay attention to the signs along the way, pay attention to like little nuances and conversations or pay attention to like the minutia of the things you're doing. Like, what is it that I'm, that I really enjoy? We can all get caught up in going through the motions, but like, I just think being aware, you know, I'm, I'm on this, I think permanent, it's not very new, but like life journey of just like awareness, you know, trying to always be really aware and intentional and centered and like, you know, just, I don't know, just have this like weird sort of faith and like, you know, I'm going to get where I need to be. So what are you most excited about right now in terms of the people that you're working with, the projects you're doing, where you're at mentally with your own personal growth? What's, what's exciting you right now? What's getting you out of bed? Everything, man. I mean, I'm, I'm blessed that there's not a thing I'm working on that I'm not excited about. There's not a person that I'm working with that I'm not excited about. There's not a stage in a person's career that I'm working with that I'm not excited about. I think like, you know, there's so many, there's so many challenges to like everything 
I'm, I'm kind of have my hands on right now, my company and the vision for that as a whole individual, you know, artists, producers, clients, projects, each of them is in like a really unique spot. And I, I, I have so much fun with that. And I always have, but, uh, you know, man, I'm just, you know, you know what, I, I heard a quote the other day. I want to get it right. Um, so my friend Gilad, I think he told me that it was a mentor of his that told him this. And he was like, you know, your twenties are for learning your thirties are for earning. And that's, that I think kind of describes like where I'm at. I'm, I'm very newly 30 years old. And, you know, I think I had a little bit of anxiety going into 30 and it's completely gone now that I'm, now that I'm here. And, uh, I'm so excited about this decade of my life. Um, you know, and I feel like I, I can really give a lot of credit to my instincts, you know, from 20 years old through 29 and the things I was able to do, the dots I was able to connect, the people I was able to work with, the things I was able to manifest, you know, um, I did all, I did all of those things. And in a very, I would say like non-traditional way, you know, I don't think, I don't think I know many people that are peers of mine that never worked in a system or never had a proper internship or never had a proper job that, and I'm not like gloating or patting myself on the back at all. I'm, I'm, you know, I have, I have so much to learn and do and grow, but you know, I'm, I'm just reflecting and I'm, I'm really proud of like the things I was able to make shake and the experiences I was able to help create for others. And for myself, you know, in a seven year span, it wasn't even 10 really. It was, you know, I was 20, 21, 22, you know, um, didn't make, didn't make a dollar really. until I was like 23 or 24, you know, so I'm very new to this career, you know, but you, you have your head down for so long. And then you look up one day, five or six years later, and you're like, oh, like, I actually, I know what I'm doing now. And, and you look back and you're like, I didn't know what I was doing back then. You thought you did. I thought I knew what I was doing back even when we started working together, you know, when I basically almost failed out of school and was going all in on whatever that was. I didn't know what that was. I'd never been in a record label. I'd never been in you know, I, I didn't know what, I couldn't tell you what, what a single role in the music industry was. I couldn't tell you what a manager really does. I, you know, I had nothing, I, you know, nothing. And it was just from years of like soaking up game and, you know, kind of looking up to other people that kind of played the same role that I ended up playing, having conversations with them, being very blessed to work with nothing but good people. I mean, I always tell people like, you know, how much game you put me onto like very, very early on. And like, you and Maddie, you know, like both, like that was my first like up close journey to somebody that was, you know, doing this shit professionally, you know, and, and you were 18 or 19 at the time when I was 20. Um, but that learning experience was invaluable. Um, watching Chance the Rapper early days and like literally studying Pat and Chance and that whole crew was invaluable and then getting to know them really well. I got, I got to know them very early on, booked them in Boston, his first show there ever, um, you know, kind of studying Johnny Shipes, you and I meeting Steven Victor and like getting to like see how him and Shiv and that operation moved up close. You know, there were these kind of crews of people that I, I sort of like created my own internship watching Amir, you know, and the way he moved on social media, uh, man, the list goes on. And then eventually like, you know, I, it's just blessings, man. Like getting to meet Q and Mac, you know, Q is one of my really close friends now. And, you know, obviously like, you know, was really close with Mac and that whole crew. And then, you know, getting to meet Oliver and Drake and like Oliver becoming someone that I had a, you know, a, a real solid and still do relationship with. And Mr. Morgan, like 
these OVO guys and, you know, then a year later meeting Che Pope who ran good music with Kanye. And, you know, I, I look back and I'm like, man, I was 21 calling basketball games on the radio, sleeping through the, the opening game of the season. And within four years, I'm meeting like, and, and not just, you know, passing by handshaking, but I have a relationship with all of the big players in, in hip hop and people that I looked up to for that entire time and studied, you know, and like, J. Cole's team. I mean, you name it. Like I, you know, one, you know, one of my, I feel like one of my sort of early like mentor big bro type figures was fam, Childish Gambino's manager. Like it just, it just happens, you know, just by being so in the mix and bringing it back to what we talked about earlier. Like it's just about going all in. Then I definitely went all in. And even though I didn't really know what I was doing, I went all the way in and just, you know, I, I did all the shit that didn't really make sense. I, 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 I went to every single place you're, you're kind of supposed to go to. I drove out to, you know, Coachella, not knowing if I had a ticket, you know, ended up crashing at my friend Tyler, Party Next Door's manager's house for five days. And I didn't, I didn't know him and, you know, getting to go to a private dinner with Drake and all these different things. And it's just stuff that you insert yourself into with, with, with no guarantee that it's going to lead anywhere. You know, I remember like you and I met Steven and then two years later, Steven reached back out to me being like, Hey, I see you're kind of up on everything. Like we should talk basically. And then he, you know, he basically didn't answer me a few times in a row. He kind of set up a meeting for us in New York and the day of, he just didn't answer me. And I, I was just like, I'm just going to drive down to New York, you know, from Connecticut, drove three and a half hours, you know, and basically waited for him for another three linked up with him at 10 PM that night. We had a 30 minute meeting and I drove back to Connecticut at 10 30. And it was just, I'm just going random stories, but I'm just reflecting and it's fun now because I'm like, damn, I really just took chances on myself so consistently with no guarantee of anything. And that meeting led essentially nowhere. A lot of these things lead nowhere until you're four or five years down the road and you're like, wait, those all led somewhere. Well, that's what I was going to say is that it's not really nowhere no, because I, that knowledge yeah. is worth a tangible amount of money. And that money is a lot, <laughs> you know, like yeah. knowledge is long-term wealth at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And so when you say learn, you know, twenties is for your learning, putting yourself in positions where you can just absorb and meet people and figure out how things are happening and, you know, basically learn how you want to run your business. Yeah is is amazing so that, and yeah. it's a fulfilling life too which I, th I think is a component that people don't think about a lot which i think you've got a really good grasp of is is that and, and maybe that's because you have an upbringing through your life where you've you've overcome things in a similar way that i have yeah. and so maybe you have an appreciation for life instinctively that others might not be, you know, thinking about when they're in their twenties, because you really value these experiences going to Coachella and saying, I don't have a place to stay, but I'm gonna figure it out. Everything is a story. I mean, you know, when I was dealing with a lot of, you know, and these are things I don't, you know, no one would really know this, but I was dealing with a lot of, a lot of really challenging health stuff. I mean, I always have my whole life with my allergies and whatnot, but like, especially early in college, a lot of challenging stuff, man. To the point where I was in tears three nights a week, like thinking about dropping out of school, like really challenging stuff. Like, you know, in the hospital every other week, you know, and, and through that time, I was telling our friend BB about this the other day, you know, but I, I kind of came up with this thing where I was like, you know, no matter how bad something is, you gotta, you gotta train yourself to always be looking forward to someone, something and somewhere. Um, and, and always be thinking kind of forward, always be thinking about possibilities and always be thinking, how is this going to be a story one day when I get to that, that person, that thing in that place, that I'm envisioning. Like one day I'm going to look back and this is going to be a story. And no matter what the challenge is, I'm talking 
you know, a, a breakup. I'm talking, you know, losing someone you love. I'm talking, you know, just whatever, driving six hours and someone to, to blow off a meeting or any of these things. This, there's a, hu a huge range of uh, the scale of it. But, you know, everything, if you look at it this way, can turn into a story and you can either use that story for fuel or use it as part of like, you know, a, a sob story, like, you know, that I should, you know, whatever, everyone should feel bad for me because of this, this, and this, um, you know, and I don't know, I, I'm definitely, and it brings back to what we first talked about, like story, story, story. That's always been, I think the yeah. core of me as a human, you know, forget work as a human, like I'm just obsessed with story. I'm obsessed with, you know, uh, having conversations and, and just, building relationships. I mean, you know, I really think I have, I have, I probably have one of the best memories. Like I, I think every person interaction that I've ever met or, or, or had, I remember very vividly and it it just, it, it clings to me. And that's like you said, and I'm trying to explain, it's helped me get to this point where I'm at now where I'm like, okay, all of those things that didn't have immediate value or, or, you know, an immediate payoff or something tangible from it, all of those things combine and they created who I am now where I'm like, fuck, I get what I'm doing now. And I get who I am. I get who I am. And when you think about how to build a business, you know, a people business, like that's what I'm building. I'm building a people business. I'm not building a music business. I'm building a people business. And when you're building a people business, you have to understand what makes you, you, because, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not Scooter Braun. I'm not trying to be Scooter Braun. I'm not trying, you know, look, if someone I work with ends up becoming the biggest artist or producer in the game, that's incredible, you know, and that's, and, and that's obviously, you know, it's all related. That has to do with kind of what I'm building as well, you know, and I, I hope that everyone and everything I'm working on becomes as successful as it can possibly be, you know, but I'm trying to build something that, you know, people are going to gravitate to, not because of, oh, you know, here's this A-list artist that's on the roster. It's going to, people are going to gravitate to it because it's, he can help me tell my story and build what I'm building in the way that I want to build it. You know, I don't just, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about art lately and I'm like, you know, it's a business, you know, all this shit is a business, but like at its core, I don't believe that like everything should be, should be like every last penny should be squeezed out of something. I don't think that's how you make great art. I don't think that's how you make sustainable art. I don't think that's how you make timeless art. I don't think that's how a human should exist. I think like, you know, the, the beauty of like a story and a career is like, things are supposed to grow at the pace they're supposed to grow at. And, you know, that's not to say like, take your foot off the gas. It's not to say like, don't do everything in your power to succeed, but it's like, you know, everything isn't supposed to be this thing. You know, you're supposed to be you, you know, he, he's supposed to be him. She's supposed to be her. She's not supposed to be every, every, every artist isn't supposed to be post Malone. That's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, so I'm excited about everything. How do you have those conversations with your clients? It's this, it's, I mean, that that's the thing is like, it's not, you know, I would say like the, the percentage of like focused business to do conversations, you know, uh, I would say it's probably 30% of those and 70% of just like shooting the shit. And I think that's like a really yeah. undervalued thing. I think like, you know, in, in building any kind of like business relationship, I mean, it's just my philosophy. It's just me, but like, you know, I think you have to like really know where a person is at mentally. I think you have to really understand a person's intentions and ambitions and look, it's a work in progress. I'm, I am not a master of this at all. I'm, I'm, I'm just le like, I'm sharing, you know, the, the, the 
No, but it goes back to the whole theme. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to the whole theme. You know, and that's part of what I'm excited about. I'm excited about being more transparent. I'm excited about like really right. owning where my head is at and owning who I am and letting people in a little bit more, you know? And I think like that learning stage in my twenties, I think part of the learning was like learning that I don't want to model myself after Oliver as much as I look up to him. And as I think he's one of the most brilliant business creative minds in, in the history of music. Oliver Drake's yeah, manager. I, I, you know, just getting to know him a little bit and watching the way he moves, you know, I started to kind of, um, almost like model myself a bit. I, I know, always have known, I would never ever be him, but you know, you start to say, well, all right, well, what, what things can I do from my social media presence, from my voice to be a little bit more like that guy? Cause I look up to him so much, but then when you start to do that, you realize like, that's just taking away from me and I'm not supposed to be him. If I was, you know, that there, there's so many variables in my life and in his life that we are, we are never, I'm just using him as an example. We are never going to be remotely the same person and the more i start to look and and feel and sound and talk like him the less you know the i guess the more i'm preventing um the the, the more kind of like new possibilities i'm preventing coming to my doorstep you know I'm, I'm limiting myself i'm i'm you know only the things that want a partner a business partner that looks and talks and sounds like him you know that's that's what i'm going to attract but i want to attract people that are deeply passionate and excited about, you know, their own storytelling, their own sort of like brand discovery, their own missions, their own, you know, whatever intentions and purposes. And like, I don't know, I just, I don't believe there's like a timeline on when that can happen. I, you know, I look at everything as like a real rolling, like, you know, this is, this is an endless, like figuring it out sort of thing. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited about just like, knowing myself more and knowing what it is that I want to create and knowing, you know, how to build the relationships I want to build. And, you know, obviously like learning, learning the actual nuts and bolts of a business and, you know, how to take something that I've built, you know, on, on like a, you know, there's a certain business model I have right now and then how to introduce some sort of something new, you know, that, uh, <laughs> that, that allows for, for the real earning, you know, and, and not to say I haven't earned, but like, you know, a whole new level of that. So. To really scale it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I've got a couple questions on that, but I feel like it's a real sign of maturation for us as humans when we stop emulating the people that we look up to and start to think, how can I be more of myself in this public-facing persona that I have? And all of us are like, you know, micro public figures now with social media and the way that we present ourselves to our community, whether that's communities, 500 people or 30,000 people or 30 million people, we all have this public facing image now of ourselves. And so I feel like a lot of us, and I've done this a ton in my life, look up to certain people and want to emulate their vibe. And so my question to you is, do you think that that's valuable in any way? Or do you feel like you wish you at a younger age in your earlier twenties were going even harder trying to show what Tim LaRue was about, or do you think that you benefited from emulating in some ways for, for some period of time, people that you look up to and, and then as you've gotten older and more comfortable, more confident, starting to think about what is it that really makes me, me and how do I put that out there? And I just will say, I'm going through a very similar transition 
as I'm getting into my later 20s and about to be in my 30s. And I'm thinking a lot about how for years I've had this music brand and now I've got this podcast and it's an opportunity to talk for an hour and a half every week. And so people are going to start to know more and more about me than they ever have before. Mm. And I'm starting to try and come to terms with what do I really want to put out there about me Mm. that's important to me that maybe I haven't shown people before. Mm. So yeah, that's my question. Do you think that there was a benefit there or do you wish that you were doing that from the jump? Yeah. I mean, the two things I'll say is like, A, I never ever strayed from like who I was at my core. That's one thing I can really say is like, I look back at every decision I made, the way I moved on social media, the way I carried myself in media, all all that. Like it was me, you know, to the core, you know, it's stuff that like people wouldn't really know unless I share like, oh, this is who I was emulating or this is who I was like starting to kind of take notes from or whatever, you know, and, and and I definitely, I think maintained my own unique identity, but I also don't, I don't it's all part of like the, the character human development process. So I don't look back on anything and, and I don't think, Oh, like, you know, you know, I, I, I wish I had, you know, cause at 21, 22, like the era I was talking about, I didn't, I didn't know anyone in the music business. So there was no one for me to emulate. So like when I, you know, created the blog, when I started 12 for 12, when I started working with you and Stiz and Christmas, I was not truly was not emulating anyone, you know, and it was like sort of the pat chance. That was the, that was the first, example and it was because they were one of the only teams at that time that was doing stuff outside of the machine that felt very accessible and to watch someone take it from you know and i knew because i booked him for the show i booked chance for two thousand dollars and you know him and pat and the dj flew out and they crashed on you know ian's that ian's house floor you know so i yeah i remember being on the t with you guys yeah yeah the bu bus i mean we were you know chance we rode the free BU bus and like, I went and bought him Tylenol at the BU store, you know? So like I watched it being done at that level. And then I watched him headline house of blues two years later. So watching that process up close, you know, that was definitely the first time where I was like, Oh, okay. I see how you can do it. Right. I see how you can, you can, you know, uh, grow from this, like, you know, real ground floor, grassroots friends working together. You don't need some industry bigwig, you know, behind you. Like you can really build this, you know, but prior to that, I, you know, I, Pat was, I would say the first person I started to be like, okay. And I wasn't emulating him as much as I, I looked up and we were friends. We still are, you know, but, but, you know, it was definitely like very inspiring. And I was like, okay, well, let me take notes on how to build an artist's career. I would say it was more so that, um, you know, but other than that, like I didn't have anybody to, to compare myself to. And I look back at a lot of the things I did and the decisions I made back then. And I'm like, well, I think I did those things because I, I didn't have anyone to look to. And, and that's why I, when I give credit to my younger self, I, I give credit to my instincts because I was doing everything very instinctually and like, oh, well, this is how I think music, you know, the music I'm, I'm working with should sound, or I think this is how it should look, or I think this is who the people involved should be. Um, you know, and I, I think then Oliver was like the first you know, I mean, even the history of that, the super brief history was, you know, Stiz's third song ever. We, you know, he, his career started in uh, July 25th, uh, 2014, put out the third song of his in the top of August, 2014. And by October, 2014, we're meeting with, you know, every other major label and, you know, Drake's playing his music and Oliver and I are building a relationship and he's asking me to send him unreleased Stiz music. Can I play it for Drake? Like, you know, so even picture that whirlwind, especially I was, you know, 24 years old, 23, 24, and completely new, 23, yeah, 23, um, completely new to the game, 
you know, didn't know anything and, and you're, you're, you're talking to the guy, like there's no one bigger than Drake, you know? So to, to have that relationship for me, oh, and then at that same time, that was when Q reached out and said, Mac really loved Christmas's music and Q became a great friend of mine. And, you know, so all of a sudden I had these relationships and, and then you, you, you get a foot in the door. And I think anyone can relate to this on, on an artist level, a manager level, whatever, probably other industries as well, but you get a foot in the door and you're like, okay, like, am I, am I dressed the way I should be? Am I talking the way I should, you know, it's like when you go to like a, you know, a dinner party or whatever, and you walk in all of a sudden, you yep. wouldn't have been self-conscious ever about the way you dress. It's how you dress. But then when you get into a new space where, where, you know, you've never been in before you, you're like, fuck, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that, you know, that, that doesn't look the part that doesn't talk the part that doesn't act the part, you know, and, and I commend anyone who in the course of their journey has been able to be, you know, um, uniquely themselves for the entire process. I, you know, I, even though I, I always remained who I was at the core, I definitely started to do some of the like looking side to side and well, you know, what, what are the things I need to be doing? And I think part of that is really healthy. I think, you know, in order to have success, you need to study the game, you know, especially on a business level, like you need to know what you're doing. You need to ask questions, you know, but I think I did more of the looking from afar and trying to emulate than I did like the asking questions. And that's the only thing I think I would tell my younger self is like, you know, don't just sit with it with, with, with fam, you know, or with Steven Victor or with Oliver or with Q and, you know, try to like know what you're doing. Yeah. Almost like prove that you're, you're on that level. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like you're there for a reason. You know, that's what I would tell my younger self. I'd be like, you're there for a reason. Don't, don't second guess or, or don't, you know, don't, don't think they're going to find out, you know, that like you're hiding, you know, your lack of knowledge. Like, no, you're, they know what it is. They know from afar that you're a brand new manager, you know, but I think there's a lot of pressure on young guys, young artists, young managers, whatever to, 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 you know, to assume the role and to, and to, to kind of give up this veil of like, I know what I'm doing, you know, and I definitely was guilty of that a little bit, just like, you know, I think thinking that I needed to prove I knew what I was doing instead of just coming out and being like, Hey, I don't know what that means. Can you tell me what that means? You know, or like, whatever I'm, you know, there's plenty of examples from that, but uh, no, I, you know, I think it's super, super healthy and even necessary to take notes and to be inspired, man. I mean, you know, again, that's part of the development. I think if I hadn't spent, you know, a handful, and I still do it, of course, but like, if I hadn't spent those years looking at these guys I was meeting, being like, what's their story? How'd they get to where they got? That's all part of it. You know, I, I know without, without ever talking to Oliver about his story, I know how he got all this way. And I'm like, that's inspiring. So the inspiration part is really important, but you got to take that back and like be you from it. You know, you can't take that back and say, all right, well, you know, now let me go work at a, you know, a fashion shop and like meet, you know, the, the, the young, like TV star, that's going to be a rapper. Like, no, that's his journey. Right. That's his, that's not my journey. Yeah. I had a blog. No, it's a, it's a great lesson. I, I feel like every idea has kind of happened. And so in, especially in art, when I look at it from like the artist side or the music, music side, you know, emulating things that you look up to is something that I feel like has a negative connotation when you talk about it but it's, there's nothing negative about it. And I think that that's how the best art is created. And I think that that's pretty much how everything is created is you look at something that has worked to some degree and you put your own unique individual spin on it. And so when I asked that question, I, I was thinking of that. It's like, you know, it's, it's all about what you're able to absorb and then 
create your own thing from from there. And yes. um, I feel like that a lot when I'm making music because, especially in hip hop music, so much of it is sample based, and so you're putting your own spin on something that might be a song that's 30 years old. And, but even just with music in general, the way the music works, like every note has been played, every rend, you know, every order of of different notes and you know different keys yep. of songs has been done, and certain keys work better than others, and people know that and they copy that and when you hear a catchy song on the radio the reason that you think it's catchy is because you've already heard that before and so it's it reminds you of something that you've heard before and so that's why you like a new song when you've heard it like when we're talking just pop radio and that's why all the same shit sounds you know really similar on the radio because it works yeah but yeah it's it's a really really interesting thing the way that we go through these different chapters in life and start to look back and say this was the lesson now i'm going to use this as fuel for the next chapter and in 10 years we're probably going to be looking back and saying look at what we thought we knew in this chapter right well, man it, it's a really interesting time because you know there's interviews that i did right when i was early in the 12 or 12 era, especially like early my blog stuff and me creating that little movement or, or being part of that movement in Boston. There's interviews I did, you know, that I look back on now and I, I kind of cringe. I mean, there's part of it that I'm really proud of. There's part of it that I cringe on. And I think the difference and the same thing with this, you know, there's probably going to be a time 10 years from now where I look back and I'm like, oh, I said some stuff that like, <laughs> actually, I'm thinking of one in particular. I interviewed, I did an interview, a podcast with a DJ booth with, um, it was called refined hype it was like a brand under dj booth at the time yeah sounds uh, familiar nathan he had his own yeah you know and he had a podcast and you know and, and there was a time like this era we're talking about i was you know i was picking up steam in my own way you know just how artists build momentum i was building momentum for myself as like a you know a young manager because i went from having the blog you know to then starting working with you you know and that that was like i think from a public perception standpoint that was like a part-time thing because i was going so hard with the blog and then it was like, oh, he's also like working with Cam. And of course you had, you know, a manager that you fired and then Steven was involved. So I was always just into this day, like I've always been involved with you since then in, in some capacity, but it wasn't like in 2012, I was like, oh, I'm Cam Meekin's manager. You know, it was just, it was one of the things I was working on and, and learning from and trying to kind of find my place in, you know, but when, when I started working with Christmas and he had success, I mean, we, you know, Ian and I got his career launched from scratch and it got successful quickly in the blog circuit, especially. And then a year later, summer 2014, we launched Stiz's career again from dead scratch. And, and once that happened, you know, that's when I think the industry, a lot of these people that I knew my network started to take notice, you know, everyone from, I mean, Jeff Vaughn, who like, you know, you worked with at Atlantic and I had known him now he's, you know, CEO of capital. I had known him for you know, a little bit through you at the time. And, you know, a guy, I probably couldn't have gotten an email back from at the time. And then all of a sudden he's like, Hey, we need to meet, you know, the next time you're back in LA, I need to set up a, a conversation with you and Mike Karen, you know, I've meeting guys like Dante Ross and, you know, uh, Lior Cohen and a lot of these like very Kevin Lyles, legendary sort of music executives were, were knocking on a 23 year old me's door being like, what do you, what do you got going on? Like, how are you breaking artists from Boston? Right. You know, because no one had done that, you know? Um, so, so then I kind of, like assumed that identity a little bit and I'm like okay well I guess I'm I guess I'm like a, a manager now you know and and I wasn't 
you know, I wasn't making money from that yet, but I had, you know, especially at that time, like independent artists weren't really making money, but you know, I, I had a thing kind of going, remind me what the, what the question was. Cause I, that, I got a little off track of this part of the story though. I don't even remember what the question was. Yeah, well, <laughs> where, where are we going with that? I'm trying to dial it back. Well, what I'll ask you is, because I, I just thought of this question I was going to ask you when you were done with this point is, would you advise that young kid that's maybe in their young twenties now that wants to be a music manager? Would you advise them to get organized on the front side, kind of front load the organization of it and the structure of the business? Or would you advise really absorbing things and learning things and just trying things and trying to add value to artists and just kind of figure out the actual organization of it and the structure of your, of your business with different musicians when the time comes. Like, do, do you look back on that time and think maybe I would have done things a little bit differently or do you feel like you, you liked the way that you, that you did things from that standpoint? Um, I'm really trying to remember what the hell my train of thought was because it was there. I had a point with that, but I, I, know I got off track, but my, uh, how would I answer that? Uh, it, you know, it's hard because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything differently from, from sure. my, but, but I'm unique, you know, all of us are unique in our own way. So I wouldn't do anything differently. Um, if I had a chance to do it again, but what I do tell younger kids now, because I have a lot of these conversations is, you know, if you are interested in this shit, do an internship, go work for someone, whether it's an individual or whether it's for a corporation or anything in between, you know, you know, a very small company or a very large company, do an internship. I didn't. And there was, I think there's a lot of things you can learn in three to six months working under someone. You know, I I've had a number of interns now that I hope have, I hope I have, I have, you know, uh, helped them understand the business a little bit better. I hope I have helped build their networks. I, I take a lot of pride in that you know, um, helping, helping build younger guys, networks, younger, younger guys and girls. Um, you know, but, uh, there was a lot of things I had to learn on my own because I, you know, basically I, I got started late, you know, I got, I got started in the music stuff when I was already a senior. So by the time I graduated, I remember being offered internships. I think I thought I was going to graduate and I would be able to get a job really quick, mm-hmm. but in order to get a job at a record label, you know, the, the competition pool for jobs at record labels, it's all kids that intern for four years at record labels, you know, it's right. like, I know guys that are A&Rs now that are in their, you know, early thirties that, that intern from age 20, uh, sorry, 18 to 24, 25. Yeah. They go know, to like, USC and they get the internship then, the first year. Yeah. So there's a lot of kids, you know, doing this very, very, very formulaic. And I don't, you know, no, no shade on that at all, you know, but there's a lot of kids doing the you know, I'm going to go intern for SB projects and I'm going to go intern for Columbia records and I'm going to go in, in, you know, uh, intern for Spotify. And, you know, by the time they graduate, they've worked in like every area of the business and have this glowing resume. You know, I, my resume at the time, it's funny. I look back on it now and I, it's just, it's funny thinking that I thought I was going to get a job. Um, and it literally said like the fresh you know, like interviews with like Rome fortune and, you know, childish major and, logic and like cool you know i was doing good shit from my world but like what the fuck is an interscope records going to do with that you know granted i would have been a great you know <laughs> hire yeah they don't but, know what they're missing but 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 i understand on paper you know what i'm being compared to you know um so that's why i say you know for that reason and then for just the knowledge reason you know so it took me several years oh and i guess my last point on the, that that kind of era was 
you know, I, I think I had too much pride to take an internship after I graduated. And it was also, I think some pressure from my parents who, you know, they grew up in a different generation and, and neither my mom nor my dad did anything remotely in this world. You know, they did, they had very traditional jobs, very traditional life paths. So they could not even fathom the idea of doing an internship after college where like right now, you know, if, 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 and when I have a kid and they're 22, you know, and if I have the means to help support them, I, I will tell them, you know, work for free for a couple of years if you need to, like, I want you to, to do what you want to do for a living. And, you know, I, I would also tell them to, you know, get an internship and that work experience early on. Um, but I think I was just, you know, completely closed off to that, you know, from my own pride and then from my parents' pressure, I was just like, nah, I can't work for free, you know, and that's something I probably would have done differently if I could do it again, just because there's things, again, it took me years to learn that, like, if I had just gone and worked for Stephen Victor for three months for free, I probably would have learned that really quickly, you know? Um, so I, I, I tell kids now, like, it's a combination, like, definitely create your own thing because that's how you're going to stand out. Like, do what you do, find you. Um, but soak up game in like a formal way as well because I didn't do that and and uh I do wish I did. But there's a special breed I think of people who can pave their own way and figure it out and I think you're one of those people and I think there are some people out there that that have that capacity, you know. And yeah. Well, I, you know, I preface anything I always say with like this this is is my story, you know, and I don't I'm never right. going to be one of those guys that's like you know, I'm an expert and, you know, do, do this, 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 and you'll succeed. You know, I don't believe in that. I believe everyone has a really unique kind of personal legend and path in life. And like the best thing you can possibly do is like be the best version of that, you know, and, 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 and find that for yourself and then maximize that, you know, but like in the same way that I realized like, Hey, I'm not Oliver Al-Khatib. I'm not, I'm not him. Never going to be him. I should, I should not, I should stop emulating him because I'm not going to be him. You know, I want, I want to, you know, I, I would hope that kids now are like, you know, not looking at me, not that I'm, you know, uh, this huge role model person, but not looking at anyone and being like, all right, what did they do? You know, it's all right. Tim started a blog. Okay. A, that was 10 years ago. Blogs don't matter anymore. You know, it's like the, the times yeah. so fast that if you right. tried to do what I did, like it was so unique to me. I started a movement with Boston rappers. You know, I, I started a blog. I interviewed people. I like chased down managers to like get interviews, you know, I, like, I, it was just such a um, unique kind of hustle. And you can take lessons from that. But like, you know, nah, you, 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 you gotta, yeah, you, you gotta be a cut out for the hustle, no matter what, and then b you gotta, you gotta be willing kind of the things that I did, where it's like, I bet on nothing, you know, I bet on and I, I did a lot of things to look back, and there's no tangible value that came out of it. And it just adds up over time. So I agree, you know, and that's why I'm like, don't, don't try to be someone else just you know be yourself but also take notes and 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 get work experience where you can the uh the way that it happens is different but the the high level theme of it is universal through any generation through any time period doing the stuff that you're talking about building the experiences focusing on the story first and foremost leading with this world view that is really commendable from a uh, you know, just a standpoint of personal happiness and fulfillment and trying to tell a story and understand what other people's stories are. I feel like you've always looked at your friends uh, and the people around you and the people that you work with and tried to understand, like, what's the deeper layer? What's the story here? And, you know, how can we capture that with something that we're doing creatively or whatever? 
you know, all of these high level themes that you've built into your business, regardless of what the newest platform is right now or whatever is going on in this moment, those themes are relevant. And, you know, no matter what the time period is. Mm. And, and, and I think about that from the coming up in music, I came up in music by doing live shows in Boston and actually selling mixtapes in Boston and then putting music on YouTube and Facebook. And that doesn't work at all anymore. People come up on music, you know, I mean, you know better than I do how, how people get, you know, more popping with, you know, making music these days, TikTok, you know, the internet. Um, and so the high level themes can can stay true throughout you know these different kind of eras and different fads of you know just the way that we kind of work in in this world you know yeah. and so that that's one of the lessons that I've kind of taken from everything that you're saying here and I think it's really cool yeah man yeah I mean it, you know the 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 thing that's the similarity between all these different eras it's it's community you know and back then for you it was physical community and now it's it's digital, you know, especially with the time we're in, it's exclusively digital community, you know, and it's kind of cracking the code and like, all right, well, how do you, how do you build your own digital community? And then, you know, build in a, a physical community component to it. But it's definitely something I try to be conscious of with everything I'm doing. Like what's the, you know, what's the community, who is this serving and, and how is this serving them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a great convo, man. We're at about an hour 30, mm. but I'm just uh, glad to have you on. I can't wait to do it in person. I know. It's a good way to uh, celebrate the birthday. Yeah, man. Be on with you. 20, 28. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching that 30. And I'm actually, I'm feeling stoked, dude. I think, you know, yeah. if 30s are, are for earning, then I'm ready. You know? Hey, you know, that's that's what I'm told. And uh, it, it, that's that's what the energy feels like. It just, you know, it just, cause it just takes, you know, I even quoted a, a Illmind, the producer tweeted this earlier today, you know, and he was like, he said, uh, he said, you know, you know, you want to know the greatest gem to be successful. Keep going and do this for a long, like four O's time. And when you get your first dub, keep going again. Five years is not a long time. And I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, not specifically five, but just the, the concept of like time and the way time moves and thinking, you know, you need to be constantly gauging whether something is a success or a failure in a short amount of time. I mean, I've been, I've been like so inspired by Freddie Gibbs and Lambo and what they've done in the last few years. Freddie's about to be 39 years old. And, you know, there was this, like, I feel like there was always this, this cloud above like rappers aging, you know, and like, you can't, you know, things are going to slow down once you get older. And, you know, and this guy just, you know, he should have won the Grammy today, but he got nominated for a Grammy and, you know, he's, he's, he's on an incline at 39 years old and what they're doing creatively, um, you know, and, and just him, his music output and what they're doing from really every angle of the business. It's so inspiring. And, you know, they've been at what they're doing since like 2006 or seven, you know, and to think like, wow. they feel like they're just getting started, you know, 14, 15, 16 years into their game, you know, in that Ilmine quote earlier, like, I, I quoted it immediately on Twitter and I, that just speaks volumes to me. Um, you know, and that's another thing I push anybody to kind of realize is like, you know, this shit is, it's, there is no finish line, you know, and it, it's, it's a really long game. And, you know, anytime you're starting something new, 
we've talked about this in regards to the podcast. We've talked about this in regards to, you know, different things I'm doing business-wise or new artists or whatever. It's like, there's no specific timeline on like when the, when the reward is going to come. It's this rolling sort of experience. And, you know, uh, when you have any anxiety or on age, that's what you have to remember is like, it's not about, you know, oh, I got to do this, that, you know, the, there's like systems in place, like the Forbes 30 under 30, you know, I think that gets in a lot of people's heads, mine included, you know, I remember being 24, 25, and literally being like, I got to make Forbes 30 under 30, you know, or I'm like, not, it, it, it felt like I, I would have, you know, I wouldn't have been validated, I would have needed that to be validated, you know, and it's funny, it took me literally to turn 30 to be like, man, fuck that shit, you know, but like, Right. And I, but, but the truth is when you're on the other side of a lot of these things, when you're on the other side of a long journey, you're like, man, I'm so grateful I put in 15 years of work. But when you're on the front end, you're like, man, I have to do, you know, I have to put in five, 10, 15 years to start seeing the success I want. That seems really daunting, you know, but if you love it, that's nothing. And if you love it, that's the beginning of the journey, the beginning of the story. Oh, all right. I, I just thought of the, the, the point. I'm so glad. No, this is important, you know, because what I'm, and this, this just reminded me of that. What's interesting about this time we're living in is we are broadcasting everything, you know, we're broadcasting and, and you have to pretty much, you have to be present as an artist, you know, everything you've done as a manager, everything I've done, you know, we, we have to broadcast ourselves and we end up doing a lot of these, you know, um, I'm writing down the specific thought, uh, yeah, don't lose it. No, I know it's this is the broad idea, but there's a specific joke or a funny story in there. But you know, we're we're broadcasting, man, our, our imperfections in our growth periods, and I think like we're comparing ourselves in this day and age to people that have truly mastered their crafts. And 15, 20 years ago, you couldn't publish a book until you mastered your craft. You couldn't publish a podcast until you were a master of your craft. You couldn't even really put out music unless you had gotten signed by a record label. And you had half a million dollar budget or sorry. Yeah. Half a million dollar budgets, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and nowadays it's like everything, everything DIY is possible, everything. And there's a gift and a curse to that. The gift is it's possible. You can pursue your passion and you can start making money from your passion. Anyone can, I could start making music tomorrow and, and be making money from it. It, it would be dollars and cents, but I would be making money by the end of this year. Anyone can do that. And I have no business doing that, but any, anyone can do that. I bought a ukulele recently. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll start working on that. Well, shit. Um, never say never. But, uh, you know, but, but that's what the point I was making earlier is like, you know, I, I guess I'm still, I'm still grappling with like the, the comfortability with sharing your journey before it's, something that you feel like is admirable. Um, and I'm starting to get myself used to the idea of sharing my vulnerabilities and sharing my, you know, lessons in real time, you know, where like 20 years ago, you know, the only, you know, like I said, the only, the only I don't even say books, the only media that you could get from someone you looked up to would be when they made it because no publisher is gonna publish a book from someone who's in the midst of their journey. You know, no major, no, no major record label in 1997 is going to publish something from you know some kid in the middle of, of Michigan who has a hot song. No, there, it's you have to get to a point where you're ready for the mass market. You know there were no like Twitter journalists 20 years. You had to be a journalist with credibility. You had to you had to have a journalism degree to write to publish material. And now anyone can publish 
you know, but the gift and the curse of that is like a lot of times you end up sharing stuff and then feeling like you're in competition. Like you could be sitting there being like, I'm in competition with Joe Rogan and Joe Budden. No, you're not. But it feels like that. It feels like I'm in competition with, you know, these top tier managers because we're all using the same platforms to broadcast ourselves. We're all talking on podcasts. We're all using Instagram. What the only difference between me and Scooter Braun and the way we, you know, engage online is that is that he's massively successful and and you know has a massive following but we use the same kind of forms of output and i think that sometimes fucks with our heads and we're like man like we forget that we're works in progress and i was talking with stiz about that the other day where you know he's been on and 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 you know whoever's listening to this will, will hear this some point down the line and understand it but he's been on a really amazing kind of run behind the scenes recently just you know he's hit his stride and, and you you know how this feels when you just get in a fucking zone making music. He was out of it. He's back in it, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of our conversations have been really high energy lately. And there's a lot of really cool, exciting things happening behind the scenes with the music. Um, and, you know, when he and I were talking about the other day, it just hit me. I'm like, man, like, and I said it to him, I'm like, you're, you're a newly developing artist. You know, he's been, he's been putting out music for five years. That's it. And, and kind of like the Illmind quote, it's a very short amount of time. You know, and, and he signed to a major label. He signed to a major label a year, one year into making music, making music. Like not, stepping into a studio. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, he, you know, we, we did a, you know, a, a, a sizable deal with RCA, you know, and, and he had only recorded music in a living room. You know, it's just the barrier of entry now for everything, not just for music, for everything is so low because of the internet. Um, you know, but, but the downside of that is you get in the door and you're like, damn, like I didn't have enough time to develop who I was behind the scenes. And now am I, am I compelling enough? And I think about that with myself sometimes I'm like, I want to be, you know, I would love to publish a bunch of books one day. I'd love to publish that. You know, I just finished this Phil Jackson book. I'd love to, you know, that's my, that's my background right now. Like I'd love to, I'd love to get to a point where like, I have a huge mass of people reading what I want to say. Does me having this conversation with you right now add to that or take away from from that? That's something I grapple with. And I what I am coming to is like, no, that's just the world we're in. I can't, you can't try to carry yourself like it's 1997. You gotta share. Right. That's part of the the journey is like I'm, you know, by sharing. You get left behind. Yeah, you know. But the the funny story I was gonna share earlier was I remember I was doing the this podcast with um Nathan at Refined Hype DJ booth, you know, and literally the first thing I say. And, you know, so it was at that time that that was the paint picture I was painting. I'm meeting all these, you know, these record label heads and I'm getting kind of gassed up because, you know, and even like, you know, getting to know Mac and like hanging at his house a bunch, meeting Drake, like I'm, I'm getting gassed up. You know, I was I was 23 and cool shit was happening to me. And I think for the first time, my ego got a little bit inflated. And, uh, you know, I had that podcast with Nathan and uh, literally the first question he's like, he's like, so like, what's you know, for the people listening that might not know you, like, what's your like LinkedIn description? Like, how would you describe yourself? And my literally my first words in the interview were like, fuck LinkedIn. <laughs> first thing I said, and it's funny listening back. And I like, you know, I I still feel a little bit that way. I mean, but, I think it but, is kind of fuck LinkedIn, dude. I mean I know, but I but I it's just funny because I was just young and cocky. Right. Like I had that attitude because I was just on some like, you know, if I can make my you know, and I think part of it was the chip on my shoulder from from no one wanting to hire me you know, to like, man, I did this shit on my own. Fuck you. You know? And I, and I, but I think that chip is healthy because 
you know, there's a lot of people that just wait around for the job forever. And, and, and again, like I said earlier, it'll become their sob story. Like, oh, no one wants me. And I turn that into, and, and you know, some people would say it's because I'm a Scorpio if you're into that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I kind of got petty with it. And I was just like, man, all right, you know, you don't want to hire me. I'm gonna go make something of myself. And then when people came back around, that's when I was like, man, fuck LinkedIn, fuck the traditional job shit, you know, and now I actually can really respect that as a, as a tool. And, you know, and I guess I don't, I don't look down on anything. And I think back then I, I had the chip on my shoulder. So I, I was looking down. I was looking down on people that were doing stuff very traditionally. And I, and I looked at myself as like, I'm superior because look what I created, you know, but then when you strip the ego back, you're like, I didn't create shit. I was a part of something. And there was a lot of people. You were a huge part of why I was in that position. You know, like Ian was a huge part of why I was in that position. I can give credit to myself, but like, you know, I was just a product of, of the community and a little bit of work ethic. Well, you just got to show up, you know, you just got to show up and, and take advantage of opportunities and, and have an open mind and have a positive attitude. Right. I mean, that's like 90% of it. I feel like, you know, just, just being willing to just say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, befriend these people i'm gonna see where this can go you know yeah man and it's a lifelong game back to that five years thing like five years not is not a lot of time man i mean you're you're like what you know 10 years into your music career you're you're fresh yeah you know like you're new to this shit like i'm i'm eight eight years into my like music journey sort of career and like you know like i said i hit 30 years old recently and i'm like man let's go this is my rookie season no i I love that energy dude i love that energy but you know this whole idea of the sharing or not sharing or whatever and and, you know i've been thinking Mm -hmm. about that a lot too because of conversations that we're having about you know uh, like just being active on social media and all that stuff and it's it's you know something that you always think about as a creative and i think um and again this is easier to to preach more than it is to practice but i feel like the the way to combat what you're talking about which is like the uncomfortability of you know whether or not you you share something if if you feel like that might affect that thing you're trying to do 10 years from now when you're a veteran and you want to put out that book i think the way to combat it is to share everything 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 show Um, people the whole process like you don't remember what you know some person that you followed and who's like super successful now, like you don't remember those first iterations of them. You remember where they're at right now in the moment. And if sure, no one, no one's, no one hears Scooter Braun and they're thinking, Oh, Asher Roth, like anyone that yeah, knows, knows, right. like, Oh, it's his first client. Exactly. Thinks that people think Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Kanye West. We have you know? a tendency to feel like these things about ourselves are super important and that people are thinking about it people don't give a fuck bro that's what it is man that's that's the ego it's 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 the self-important shit and that's you know i I, that's really cool to hear you saying that too because that's what i've been trying to strip back a little bit just year by year is like just the self-importance and and the ego you know the ego that's what it is it's like just man people are not watching you every i could be doing some completely different shit next year and nobody is going to give a fuck and say like, oh, what you were doing this shit last year. Like, you know, obviously no. you want to be authentic to you and do you. But I'm just saying, like, don't be afraid to put stuff out there, even if in the future you might be better or doing it a little different or whatever. I'm probably going to have a point in this podcast where this isn't my background and, you know, the shit is a little bit tighter and we're doing it in person and it's better. That doesn't mean these episodes don't have value now, you know? Yeah. And, Absolutely. and, Absolutely. and again, it's easier to, to preach this than it is to practice it. And it's something that I'm trying to build in my life and my business and everything else. But I've been thinking about that a lot too. And so when you said that, it really sparked something in me. It was like, yeah, I, I think the answer is 
to share it all and let everybody be a part of that whole process. Because then when it is present time and shit is really moving, they feel like they've been a part of this journey the whole entire time. And I, yeah. I love engaging with yeah. some of my favorite people that I follow, whether they're artists or they're creatives or they're just social media people or YouTube people or whatever, authors, journalists, whatever. I feel like the ones that are very active and showing me their whole world, I feel like I've been a part of that journey with them. You know, like my friend Matt Negrin, who I had on the podcast, I've known him for years and years now, and I've been following him on Twitter, and I've seen him just tweet his stream of conscious for like 10 years, and now he's in this place where he's a really successful guy producing yeah. for The Daily Show and has this big following for himself on Twitter, but he was doing this shit when nobody was listening, you know? And so when cool. you see that, and and now they're at that point where they're really, you know, they've really got a platform, it feels that much better being someone who's seen it the whole way through, you know? Great example, man. I mean, you know, that's, I brought up Fran, Freddie and Lambo earlier. Lambo's Freddie's manager and, and Lambo's, you know, he, he's my big bro and, and like a really good friend of mine now. Um, but he was someone I've watched on social media for about six years before I met him and, uh, you know, watched him just like tirelessly promote Freddie for, for all those years. And then JMP and I met him together in Lambo, you know, five years later now, like he's, he's one of my true, like kind of big bro figures. And, and just, it makes me like, you know, damn near emotional, like watching what they're doing right now and hitting this new energy and new peak. And to your point, it's because Lambo has always been a very stream of consciousness sharer. Like he has shared everything. He's, he shared the Freddie merch photos when they get, you know, 64 likes. And now, you know, Lambo for a minute had like seven to 10,000 followers. He's got, you know, in the last couple of years, as Freddie's momentum has picked up, you know, Lambo's got 30 plus thousand followers. Everything pops off because, you know, I think he built this base. And again, he's just a manager, but he's a super creative, brilliant business guy. And I think people have watched that journey unfold. And, and to your point, like he and Freddie both, you know, it's the team, but they had kind of like their core subscribers. They shared everything. They shared the journey. Freddie, man, I mean, Freddie's journey is, is, is movie worthy. It's probably going to be a movie one day. He was in jail in Austria and, you know, dropped yeah. from record labels, shot at, beefing with Jeezy, you name it. Um, you know, but watching every step of that and them share every step of the journey, you're so right. That didn't, that didn't take away from this moment now or what they're building towards. It added to it and it gave people stakes in it. And they're like, shit, you know, if, if I, if I, if, if I'm watching you grow that like this, then I can do it too. You know, and so much of what people are tuned into, it's the same type of stuff you and I watch, you know, the podcasts I listen to, it's so much of it is because I want to be there too. I'm, I'm, I'm reading this Phil Jackson book. Cause I'm like, shit, I want, I want that level of greatness. I'm not gonna be a basketball coach, but I want the same level of greatness in what I do. And if he's talking about his successes and failures alike, then I'm not going to be down and out when I hit a, a roadblock. I know I'm going to, there's possibility to end up in the place you want to be because these guys shared the lows. So I'm, I'm inspired, you know, by that little bit of the convo for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I think it goes, you know, it goes both ways sometimes i think you know some artists are just so great that they can just put out this art and just shake the world because they're so incredible but at the end of the day uh most of us who are creative people we live in an environment where to be competitive on this level you just you have to you have to share your story and, and be confident enough to be who you are and put it out there and mm -hmm. You know, I, I, again, that's something I'm trying to remind myself every single day 
to be more and more on top of it because it only benefits everything that you're doing. And yeah. maybe if you didn't see that whole process for the years and years that Lambo was posting and it wasn't very engaging, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, people weren't engaging with it very much or whatever, maybe it wouldn't be as captivating now to see where they're at. And yeah. that's the beauty, you know, we all have choices on how we view things. And I think you got to take a positive outlook toward what we have in this world right now, which is this hyper communication devices, social media. We're so active. Like you can either be a negative person about it or you can be a positive person. And I just want to choose the side of optimism and positivity to say like, this is great that we have all this technology at our hands. Like, let's be a part of it. Let's yeah. figure out how to work within this, this new system because there are so many benefits to it. And, you know, being an active member of that community is just, it, it can be rewarding and it's mm. going in that direction, whether you say something positive about it or negative, right? Yeah. So you kind of choose where you, where you land in there. And again, there's going to be exceptions because there are some people who are just such amazing artists that they can just drop something and, you know, everybody pays attention, but most of us don't, don't operate in that world. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking authors, I'm thinking, you know, when you said Nagrin, I'm thinking Shea Serrano, who's someone that's like, same thing, shared every part of his journey and like through doing that has galvanized his following to like, right, I mean, literally brick by brick, you know, um, Sopan Deb, my, my old boss at WTBU, who's now New York Times staff writer, author, published a book somewhere on this bookshelf back here. Um, same thing, man, he's like an oversharer. And, and for a minute out of college, he was a, basically a failed stand up comedian. I mean, he well, he was doing it kind of as a hobby. But for a while, it kind of looked like he was floundering. And, and part of like why, you know, I'm so inspired even by someone like him or Shea Serrano or whatever, whatever your medium is, is exactly that. It's like, there's, you know, yeah, you're right. Every once in a while, there's a, you know, somebody strikes gold and somebody comes out the gate and they're just like the chosen one, you know, but that's like, I mean, it's, it's quite literally like one in a million, you know, like that's to, to have your like Lord, you know, the, the singer, like the way she popped off to have, to, to be a LeBron James, you know, to, whatever there's somebody in each little vertical but like you don't bet on that the stars have to align in a way that you can't even really control you don't you don't bet on that you you share and you try and you, and you be intentional man i mean i keep right. about that word intentional just i think if if you're intentional and, and intentional in reflecting on yourself intentional in, on being self-critical and then intentional on what what am i doing with this why am i doing it you know um you're going to be successful in some way yeah, well, everybody's path is different, and some people's path is a lot, you know, less strenuous because of God-given gifts or just the way that it happened to play out. Yeah. Um, but the, everyone can be at the same end game still, even though all of our paths are different. Yeah. And so that's the cool thing about success and all this stuff is just like, you know, some people have to work 10 times harder than the other person, but at the end of it, we can all be in the same place, you know? Yeah, at least internally, you know, it, it, that's the thing is like you shift and you're like, well, the Forbes 30 under 30 doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter, you know, but what well, it's just like having a college degree or having a certain GPA. There's certain things that these accolades, it's like, you know, yeah, somebody's going to get the Grammy and somebody isn't. Somebody's going to get Forbes 30 under 30 and somebody isn't. But your kind of personal happiness, satisfaction, success, it's what does that mean to you and how do you get that? And if an accolade comes along with that, great. And if it doesn't, you have to, you know, be at a place where, where, where you are successful independent of any, you know, whatever third party, uh, fucking, you know, awards or gifting. 
Yeah, and that's that's the place that everyone can be at. Is you're right that success from not just a standpoint of how are we measuring it from a financial thing because that only matters so much. Once financial success is attained to a certain level, it doesn't it doesn't dictate your happiness beyond that. No. And it's not a lot of money. You know, it's really just covering your basics Man. and covering your basics in a way where you don't have to worry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, yeah, there are things that you can do. And if you have that opportunity, then you can live in excess, but it doesn't make you happier um, at the end of the day. And, and we could, we could do a whole nother talk about that, but yeah, Facts. there's a lot of people we both know and a lot of tragic endings to stories of people that are, you know, very, very, very wealthy and look like they have it all on paper and behind the scenes. It's right. You know, right. It's the opposite. So, Yeah. And then on the Forbes 330 thing, I think that's just whether or not you're willing to hire a publicist for $3,000 a month to get the Forbes under 30 thing. I'm not even, I'm just speaking facts at this point. I mean, we're at the two hour mark of the Cam Eakin show. So this is where we start really speaking the facts. <laughs> Shit. Where would it be if, if we, uh, if we went another hour, I, you know, <laughs> gotta cut it. Uh, but no, I, I'm with you, man. I mean, you know, it's, it's about what do you, you know, what, 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 what is meaningful to you? What, you know, and, and what's your intention? And that's, you know, we can, we can keep each other in check on that, but that's like my next year, five year plan is just like, man, bust my ass and be really intentional about the things I'm doing. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I love these, man. And it's cool. I think that this is a unique format because it's not often that I think you get to hear an artist and the manager talking in this way where we're talking in this kind of general way, but it also applies to like the work that we do, you know, individually on, on our day to day. So it's cool. I, I loved this conversation and yeah. I look forward to many, many more. Always. And to your point about the, the years and years that it takes to build something, you know, that's how I feel about this whole process with this podcast. So I'm excited to, to be making it happen. I'm excited. You're a part of this whole thing, helping me produce it and helping me do everything else. And just thank you for coming on. Yeah, man, of course, you know, and, and anybody that's made it this far, thank you for uh, watching and supporting, you know, facts, more to, facts, more to come. Follow my guy, Tim, on social media at Tim LaRue. Mm-hmm. Cam Mika Show. We out of here. Peace.